Hello. 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 Is this Ben Chapman? Uh, hello. Is this is this Donald Doctor Donald uh, McShaffner? It depends who's calling. Is this make Donald Trump again? Oh do God, you, I hope not. Do you know about Do you know about that? I do. Oh, that's so good. Um, so I have to tell you something that's kind of fun about what I'm doing right now. Does it involve not having pants on? Oh yeah, I don't have pants on. That is, and I'm smiling. I'm so happy because you're not at work. I'm not at work. I'm not wearing pants. Um, I have a I have a microphone right by my like I've got just the one turntable and a microphone. Uh huh. Um, and uh, and yeah, I'm I'm like reclining. Um, I, I, this is a new podcast. Uh, uh, position for me right now. I am. Uh-huh. I'm sitting on a couch. Okay. I'm holding my microphone. Okay. And and I like. That's it. what they call it. <laughs> and well, and I'm recording a podcast too. Um. And uh, and I'm so happy. I'm so happy. I can't even. I can't even tell you. And it's because you you let me uh, push our start time 45 minutes so I could um, leave my office and come home and and enjoy the comfort of my. Of, of my secluded little office that is off my be- my bedroom. Well, let let the let the let your private office let the record show that I agreed to a thirty minute delay. You did, and you did. and you added an extra fifteen. I did. Um, but I mean, you knew when I said thirty minutes, you knew what I meant. I knew there was no way you're getting home and getting <laughs> yeah. your pants off in thirty minutes. No, yet. it's impossible. I someone one of, one of my friends who um who I play hockey with and who uh, coaches hockey. He said to me something like very astute uh, this week, hmm. and mm-hmm. he said, "I hate being late." Oh, I'm, I know. And I'm always late, and I hate myself for it. Mm. And I and I thought I, I'm like that too. And for the most part, and then sometimes I hate being late. I'm always late, and then I I just um, I don't beat myself up over it. Well, <laughs> and you know, it depends. Like, there's certain things that I'm not late for, but I figure. If I'm doing a podcast with you, like there's a certain amount of implied lateness, right. like like the starting time, it's it's just a suggested starting time. It I mean, is. it's not like it's not like a faculty meeting or um, <laughs> which also a might defense. be a suggestion. Yeah, right. Okay, fair enough. A defense might be a real start time. It might be, but my colleagues uh, don't ever seem to come on time. Oh man. Um, I, I, Not so, faculty meetings either. Oh, hey, that's a different kind of podcast. Um, <laughs> so, so I have, so I have this microphone in my hand, uh, so uh-huh. and my um, my child number two, who's who, who knows he's my favorite because I tell him, <laughs> um, and I tell both of them in front of the first, one. in front of yeah. the first, in child, in front of child number one. Um, Sam likes to pretend that my, my, uh, my personal office off my bedroom is a, uh, a spaceship and puts on my headphone cans as, as they're known in the, in the business uh-huh. and talks in the microphone and says things like, we're about to blast off. We're blasting off. We're, we're taking off. We're taking off. That's pretty much what space, what's, what spacemen do, um, in, in his mind. <laughs> And, uh, and you know, you know, your, um, your road podcaster mm-hmm. that, that you're using right now mm-hmm. on, on one side of it has a volume knob. It does. Yeah. Mine doesn't have one anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know where it is. It's been removed. It's not huh. in my office. Sam can't seem to figure out what he did with it. Huh. Um, he may have eaten it. He, may, who knows, who knows what he's done with it. So, so I have to adjust the volume 
now by using a USB cord with a small USB port that I that I jam into the volume dial receptacle. Huh. And uh, and then I turn it, and it works. I was I was going to ask you how you adjusted it. Yeah, not bad, right? Huh, yeah, that's good. And and honestly, how often do you really need to adjust it? I, not very often. Like, I mean, I just adjusted it to get what well, you know to get my levels straight to set our levels. Check one, check two, and uh, and that's it. I shouldn't I shouldn't need to touch it again until we're finished. And and here's the thing: with no actual knob on it, it's not like it's going to get hit accidentally and, right. and have the volume be adjusted right accidentally. So he's done me a favor. It's exactly, it's exactly. It's good that you look at it that way. And that's why he's child. That's why he's my favorite. He is <laughs> making things easier for me. Uh, in a sense, taking away functionality that I didn't need. Exactly. <laughs> Until I do need it. <laughs> it yeah. <laughs> um. So I'm. I'm very happy that I'm at home. I'm not wearing pants. I texted you that I had hit my campus limit today. Do you know? Do you know what that? You understand that? You do you hit your campus limit sometimes? Well, since I started, don't tell anyone at work. But since I started working from home, I find um, I I don't really ever hit my campus limit because I'm basically not really ever there. <laughs> it's good. That so I mean you are preemptively you understand that you could hit your campus limit. You mm-hmm. are preemptively avoiding that uh, that critical limit. Exactly. Um, exactly. So it's 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 what they call Ben. It's what they call uh, your operational limit, Ooh. as opposed to your critical limit. You were just yeah, just a, just a hair under your operational limit. Exactly. Um, I, uh, I so I try to manage it as mu- as well as I can, and then some days it's like the you know things get scheduled, and then I that I feel like I have to go. And then someone else schedules something in between the two things that I had to go to, and I was like, "Well, I'm here." And then finally, I was just, just like, "You know, if I if I'm going to be here longer, um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be having fun." And and I want my podcast experience. It is the funnest part of my my biweekly cycle. Uh huh. It yes. is. Yes, me too. Well, and you know what? And we talked about this before. And but it it is it. I look forward to it. Like I've always looked forward to it, but I look forward to it even more now that I know that we are like, and I don't want to jinx it, oh. but, but that we are putting out podcasts, Ben. Oh, my gosh. So just for the, ref, for the record and the reference, today is March 15th, 2016. That part is, yep. is important right. based on our history. And I predict that this podcast will be posted by... March twenty second, two thousand and fifteen. I predict that. Well, but you realize that that, uh, but in between that, uh, we still have one more to post, and that one is under my control. So that's correct. Well, or, what, two more. Did to you post? post? No. Do, do you, I, you, all right. You so you have one more to post, and then I have one more to post. Yeah, and then and then we're caught up. And then we're caught up. I'm in it. Yes, it's going to happen. We will. We have a we have a week, and then we will be caught up. And then I don't know. We'll have to go on vacation or holiday, as they call it in the UK. Um, I'm so I'm so excited. You know, we you, we had texted a little bit back and forth uh, today about this, and um, the more you do stuff, the more people seem to want to comment on it, and that's really cool. Like it made me want to do more, do more podcasts, yeah, um, and record because we've we've been getting like great feedback, and we'll get to to some of that and some of the some of the great comments, all the great comments. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really yeah, it's nice to it's it's I feel like we've 
what's the right cliche here? Have we have we righted the ship? Have we have we turned have we turned this baby around? Have we, have we steered it towards uh, the right port? What I'm, I'm just trying to make an, enough. Uh, I think we've taken it out of the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, like it's on. It, you mean it's not dry docked anymore? Right. It's we're yeah. I think we've uh, we've got something. This isn't Titanic. That's that's where we're no longer uh, we're no longer a sinking ship. There you go. I like that. That's good. Um, okay, so no more ship analogies. I want to move to uh, sports ball competition that is not even includes balls, and and it does, yeah, I know, and it doesn't even include pu- include pucks. Wow. What what sport could you think of that includes neither of those things? Badminton. Nope, but that's a good guess. Um, hmm. What what very Canadian sport could you think? Oh, curling. Yes, I. There is a bunch of curling up in this place, meaning my house (laughs) and on TV. Um, Yeah. So that so that 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 full scale uh, rink in your in your basement (laughs) that you use for to practice is uh, yeah, it's finally come together, huh? It it would have been so amazing if it could have come together. Um, But we just finished. Uh, and I say we, I mean, like like it's a Netflix binge watch. I just watched, I uh, just finished finished watching the um, Tim Hortons Canadian Briar, <laughs> and which is the Canadian National Curling Championships that uh, have been going on for a week or twelve draws, I believe. I don't know exactly what that means. I think that's games. Um, anyway, I, there, the championship game was Sunday night, two days ago, and, um, it, it has, and the, the, this is the, like the greatest thing that I've discovered. It is broadcast through my Apple TV in HD on ESPN three. Whoa. Yeah. So you, I, I know you're not like a sports ball kind of guy, mm-hmm. but there are things that I have discovered like cricket Mm-hmm. A lot of it on ESPN three through my Apple TV, um, and and it's like this ESPN app that if you have if you have cable and you subscribe to ESPN you can watch it. Um, they have uh, rugby, which I'm not a fan of. They have badminton and curling. So anytime that there's like a live international curling event, it's on here. It's amazing. Yeah, it's I, I only wish that that applied to to other sports um, because we recently had to upgrade our cable um, so that uh, Kristen could get her uh, ice skating and gymnastics stuff, which we used to be able to get through a lower tier on our cable plan. And then uh, Universal Sports, I think, uh, was the channel and it um, uh, got dropped from the one plan. So we had to go to another plan, which is which is very annoying. But I think ultimately, uh, I think Apple. TV is gonna is gonna solve those problems for us because uh, as I mentioned before on on this show we watch a lot of uh, British stuff and one of the things that we discovered was something called Acorn TV and uh, just was flipping through the the apps available on uh, Apple TV and uh, discovered that Acorn now has an app which is as it should be and that means that you don't have to we used to watch stuff on the TV through the Apple TV before but you'd have to stream from uh, iPad or iPhone and now you can just watch on the native uh, native app on on the, on the Apple TV, so it's fantastic. Oh, Apple TV is the greatest for all your English, British, uh, 
shows and curling needs. Exactly. That's where that's where we go. Um, yeah, so I've been watching a lot of curling, uh, and it's over now. Um, there are words and, like, phrases in curling that are amazing, like hurry hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, giver, someone said giver a couple times. Mm-hmm. I've, I've mentioned that to you a few times. One of my favorite Canadian mm-hmm. uh, uh, words. Um, D- Danny, so so we watched a lot, and Danny's like, we're watching way too much curling. Um, well, to find way too much. Well, I mean. right, right. For her, it was just the right amount for me. Yeah, exactly. Um, and stop being curling normative. <laughs> yeah, there was. Uh, no curling shaming. She did. It's not she, allowed. I know. She she, she did curl. Sh- she curl shamed me. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite uh, conversation that we had around curling this weekend was um, one of the skips who is like the leader of the team. There, uh, curling is done. In, it's a team sport. Four individuals. You have a lead, a second, a third, and a skip. The skip directs what's going on in the house. And on the sheet, uh, which is where you, uh, yeah, it's it's all the great, like it's the best term. I'm, you know, we're we're I'm I'm already completely lost, and we, but we're in the, the first the first thing we're going to link to in our show notes is uh, the the basic rules of of curling. So it's, it's the greatest. So curling I'm, for dummies, cheat sheet. That's cur- what we're linking to. Perfect. So there are two often two sweepers who literally sweep the ice and melt it one who is for speed and one who is for direction or line as it's known in the curling world um and uh we watched uh we watched one curling match curling draw uh earlier uh this week where this guy kevin who was one of the sweepers um was being yelled at by because that's what happens uh by Mm -hmm. by the skip or by the third and over and over again they just said no kevin no no kevin no 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 and so that became like our catch phrase of the weekend in our house no kevin no No, we don't have a kevin but we just yelled out no kevin no no come on kevin what's wrong with you stop stop sweeping kevin lay off oh the curling sports ball so it's so good um so I did. I did a little bit of watched a little bit of curling. My son Jack is uh, now playing baseball because uh, it's beautiful weather here, um, and uh, so I spent. Uh, so hockey is is pretty much over, but I spent this weekend outside at Baseball Diamonds um, in uh, seventy degree weather in the sun, and it was it was like a vacation after spending all winter in the rink. Sounds nice. It was. It was nice. And that's yeah, it was actually it was it was nice. It was nice. Uh, we had a nice day in New Jersey over the weekend too. It's it's kind of cold and uh, colder and and rainy here right now, so it's not fantastic. But uh, hey, you know, we're, springtime's uh, on the way. It's close. We're it's, almost. It's close. We're almost there. Um. Okay. So this is the end of my sports ball, um, podcast introduction. Oh, thank um, God. I know. I know. It's your it's your favorite <laughs> part. It's your favorite part of the podcast. But I have uh, I have some friends who are coming to visit me. From Canada and we're, for March Madness. For March Madness, yeah, we so talked about this. That's yes, right. so it's happening. Long time listeners of the podcast uh, will hear. be well aware of this. They'll be well aware. So yeah, it starts tomorrow, uh, or my friends arrive tomorrow, and I'm going to go watch a bunch of basketball. All right, it's going to be it's going to be good. Um, but what I really want to talk to you about, Don, exploding toilets. Yeah, <laughs> uh, exploding toilets, and there's there's a tie in, there's a tie in to the show. And really, you, yeah. Do you know what the tie in is? 
Um, because sometimes have people have food poisoning and it leads to explosive diarrhea, which is a kind of exploding toilet. Oh, it's no. close. It's close. Um, so no. Oh, and what's going on with my browser? Um, that is not it. It is that, uh, this, uh, exploding toilet happened in the fine city of Baltimore. Um, and uh, so here's a story from uh, from Fox News, my source for all things news uh, that I sent to you. A Baltimore woman has filed a lawsuit over the injuries she claimed or claims she suffered when the toilet she was sitting on in her home explo- exploded. She was sitting on her toilet in November 2014 when it was backed up and she was sent flying. Her home was damaged and she was injured both physically and emotionally. Um, here's the food safety talk tie-in. Quote, I was literally covered in feces, she told the station. Are you kidding me? Who wants that? And here it is. Her lawsuit names as defendants Baltimore Mayor Stephanie Rollins-Blake and members of the city council and two city contractors. This is like, I think, The Wire season six. (laughs) Exploding toilets. Exploding toilets. uh, Carchetti being sued for for this, uh, you know, misfortune. Um, so anyway, this is like I've never I've never heard of anything like this, but apparently um, the sewer lines in um, her neighborhood were being cleaned out with high pressure hoses at the time. And um, then she was sitting on her toilet and it exploded. And it includes um, fourteen thousand dollars of repairs to the to the bathroom. It's crazy. Wow. And I read somewhere, not in this one, but I, I did a little digging on this. It included replacing drywall above the toilet. Wow. Um, a 55-square-foot uh, area. That's, uh, yeah, that, um, that, that really does not sound pleasant. I think, uh, yeah, I think she's, well, she's, like, all right, so it looks like she's, she's getting 14000 just to repair the bathroom. All right, and so if he gets a jury, it says here, if, if the lawyer gets a jury to hear the case, he'll demand a quarter of a million dollars. That's probably a little high, but. But, uh, you know, that's that's pretty bad. If you sit on a toilet, imagine it sort of blowing up (laughs) into you. Uh, Yeah, that's uh, that's 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 scary. It sent her flying. This is. Yeah, this is not um, for for longtime listeners of the show and and new time listeners. This is not um, the correct way to have a, a stool transplant. No, this is this is not. That's that's usually done with. Like uh, with a pill, right? This is—is uh, is it, is it a pill? Yeah, it is a pill. Okay. Yeah, the feces. Uh, tra- tra- I thought they went in from the other end. <laughs> I think they—I don't know which end. It's not—it's not a, a supply. Like I think it's a pill that you actually like. It's not a real transplant. Like, I think they—they okay. they spin down. Uh, this this part we're gonna have, maybe have to do a little um, research on, but um, I believe they uh, they they freeze dry a whole bunch of microbes and then you eat it and then it populates your gut. But it's someone else's poop that they got those microbes from. Yeah, but I, I, I. You think they go sure. from the from the back? I, from the I back think end? they do. I think I remember uh, an MD colleague of mine explaining this. I just googled uh, poop pill. <laughs> <laughs> Frozen poop pills uh, fight life-threatening infections. Okay. Uh, C diff uh, fecal. Okay, all right. So here, so Wikipedia, which is never wrong, says uh, that it can be by enema, by <laughs> orogogastric tube, or orally in the form of a capsule containing freeze dried material. Oh, so we're all right. So we're all right. Yeah. Also, um, <laughs> not so from that Wikipedia page. Do you see anywhere where you would um, 
have this fecal transplant via exploding toilet. Um, well, you know, it is Wikipedia, which I could log in and edit, (laughs) but uh, so it'd be true momentarily, but uh, that would besmirch my excellent uh, reputation of being uh, in in favor of truth. So, um, uh, we could, or we could say, and it's not by exploding toilets, but I I think, I think the Wikipedia, uh, editors would probably take that out pretty quick, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it does not say anything about exploding toilets. Wait, here, listen, here's my typing. Um, also... It, new treatment includes exploding toilet in Baltimore neighborhoods. Dun ding. <laughs> uh, there it is. There it is. Got my bell today. Oh, good. So, um, thanks for this. This is just something that that you know someone came across my my text uh, one one of my text conversations, uh, and I thought you know this is it's it's food safety talk. It's poop safety talk. Oh, it's re- directly relevant. It's I who wants? I mean, literally this this is I was literally covered in feces. Are you kidding me? Who wants that? Is a great great quote. And then mm-hmm. the her lawyer, um, uh, Lewis Glick, who says she had to clean it up herself. Can you imagine that? <sighs> Well, yeah, I don't know who else would do it, but it's pre- it's pretty terrible. I mean, I can I can yeah. I mean, somebody somebody ought to pay for this. This is this is this is not right. No. And uh, and I think it's McNulty. <laughs> I think I think if if it it it, it is clearly uh, falls into after after his boat duty um, in uh, season two, um, this is he needs to go to uh, um, the poop cleanup. Right. Good, good, good. Hey, um, so there's something else I want to find for you that mm-hmm. also I don't know if you know anything about. Um, but do you know that on the internet people are eating avocado pits? I had not heard about this. Yeah. And so um, let me see this thing. There's like some news. Try adding an avocado pit to your next fruity concoction for added nutritional benefits. Yeah. That's from Livestrong.com. There it is. And it's being used in smoothies. Okay. Doesn't sound like a good idea, Ben. So can you so why why not, Don? Like I guess this is so I got a question. Well, I, I got an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got a I got a fever, and the only thing that's gonna it's more cowbell, Don. Um so, so what do you think? What so what's the what, like? Is it a safety issue, or do you just think that avocado pits are gross? Well, we know that peach pits contain cyanide. We right. know that apple seeds contain cyanide. Um, biologically, these things are not. I mean. The the whole the way it works as I under I'm not an I'm not an evolutionarist Ben but but, <laughs> but um, I like to play one but on a but, but my understanding is that uh, that the outside of these seeds uh, is, is delicious so they are eaten and then the seed gets uh, transported to a new location when it gets and it gets pooped out um, uh, and that's how uh, evolution Ben um, but. Uh, but but you're not supposed to actually eat the seeds because that's not good, right? I mean, they could there could be things in there that are not good for people. So that just seems just seems silly to me, Ben. Well, and so so I had I had this question and um, from from one of my grad students, uh, Nicole Arnold, literally like 20 minutes before we started podcasting, saying, um, "Do you know it's a new thing?" People are grinding them up and putting them in their smoothies. 
LOLs, which is L-O-L-Z. Um, and she said, it, there's a video circulating on Facebook about eating the pit in avocado. Is this safe? And I said, I don't know. She said, I see where it's not recommended to do so by some groups, but they don't really give a reason why. And then I was like, yeah, I'm not sure why. And maybe it is. Maybe it's a cyanide issue. Well, um, but Ben, according to a 2004 Journal of Food Chemistry article, um, avocado pits are rich in antioxidants. Well, there you um, go. But, but that doesn't mean that people should eat them. That's true. <laughs> there are probably other things that are rich in antioxidants that you shouldn't eat. And like, probably some things that you could eat if you wanted to eat antioxidants. Oh, but true. I would not recommend avocado pits. I, I'm, I'm, the jury's still out for me. <laughs> I want to see. Right. I want to see the data. I, I do. I want to know. I want to know why the why the peeps say what's the why you should why you shouldn't. <sighs> and then I'm going to make my own decision. All right. Because now, in the meantime, I'm going to keep eating avocado, and I'm not going to start eating avocado pits. Yeah, you know what? I changed my mind. I think eating av- avocado pits is just gross. So I have a question for you. Yeah, on this sure. Avocado. I'm not. We're not done with avocado seeds. Do you use them to make keep your guacamole um, longer, like to um, keep it from oxidizing? I don't we know. Have we have? Does it work? Um, you know, have, we haven't done the control experiment. Uh, you know, where you do it, it's like we, you, you either you put it in or you don't, but you need to, what you really need to do is you need to do it side by side. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have not done that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't done that either. And, and I've, I feel like my guacamole still goes brown mm. like every time. <laughs> and, and so I just don't do it. We just eat it quicker. We my, my, my advice is if you have guacamole and you're worried about it going brown, just eat it. Yeah. I mean, cause it's guacamole. And it's so good. It is. Guac- guacamole is so good. So anyway, that was my, my avocado. This is what's going on on, uh, on Facebook. Uh, don't, eat, don't eat the pits, maybe. But don't eat them because they're gross. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, and we'll link to the uh, journal of food chemistry. Or we'll link to the food chemistry article on the antioxidant activity and phenolic content of selected fruit seeds, um, uh, which does apparently uh, include some information on avocado. And I'm going to see if I can find the video um, from, uh, from, from, Nicole, from Nicole Arnold. I think that's the difference between the two of us, Ben. I'm looking for the peer-reviewed research, and you're looking for the video. Yeah, I'm going to watch a video. on. But on... that's why we make a good team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You do, your, you, do you, I do me. Um, <laughs> exactly. And, and we'll meet, we'll meet in, the, uh, in the middle. Somewhere on nine ninety five, and somewhere, yeah, it'll be somewhere. We know it's like, uh, you know, exit twenty seven, and then uh, um, Aaron Yusugi, who we haven't talked about in forever, uh, told us that there's a really good uh, um, place to stop halfway in between you and I. Did you know that? Do you remember that? It's from like, I, no, I don't remember that. Oh, it's from like we've uh, we have we actually have a podcast called something like Meeting on ninety five, right? Oh, it's uh, no, it's 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 a it's quoting a Fountains of Wayne lyric, and it's uh, somewhere on I ninety five, I think. Yeah, well, and, and then we talked about somewhere that we'd both com- we'd all commonly stopped. This is back. This is back in the archives. Back that's on- that's deep catalog too. Oh, this is yeah. We're talking like off our first record. Uh, back back before we had signed, uh, <laughs> before we sold out. Yeah, back before we we got all corporate. It was back back before we had sponsors. Don, we still don't have sponsors, do we? No, we don't. No. We're doing okay. Yeah, we oh, don't. but you know what we do have, Ben? What do we have? We have three hundred people in Nova Scotia alone <laughs> who occasionally <laughs> listen to some of our podcast 
when Dave Bacon Schaffner, who may or may not be related to me, mixes up his audio feeds at the 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 movie drive-in that he runs. So Ben, literally, there have been literally three hundred people in Nova Scotia who've listened to this podcast in Nova Scotia alone. I love, I love that story. I know. Is that the best story? It is how we. It is really how we. Um, we're reaching the masses. It one, is one drive-in theater at a time. Yep, just one, one province I mean, at a time. Yeah, just one province at a time. One maritime province at a time. We'll be going um, next uh, to maybe a drive-in theater in New Brunswick. I would think maybe mm-hmm. in the in the fine town of uh, Miramichi. I don't know. Sure. Uh, I don't know if there is one there, but uh, I've been there before. It's it's lovely. It's lovely in the summer. Um, and, uh, yeah, I love it. David Bacon Schaffner. Thank you for, for sharing that with us on the Facebook that the podcast ends up just randomly, uh, broadcast. I love that. Hey, and you know what? Food Safety Talk 11, entitled Somewhere on I-95, um, was, we had a guest on that, sh- on that, on that episode, Penn. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, Who? we did. Was it Mike Bass? That was, no, it was Michelle Danilov oh, from the Michelle- University of Florida. Oh, of course it was. Cause, cause she's on 95 too. Yes. Oh, this is amazing. We have so much history. We need a retrospective uh, show. Well, we've talked about that we're going to do a clip show for uh, for episode 100. I can't wait for the clip show <laughs> and bring out bring back all of our guests. And um, this is really the you know the second time that we've talked about this, but we're going to have a, a live tour, live tour stops. Yes, we are. Um, and uh, we talked uh, a few episodes back about it, and we have uh, there are fans on the internet who love this idea, like Luis yep. Ramirez. Yep, exactly. And I think, and I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to put um, words in Luis's mouth, mm-hmm. but I think he wants to host us. I, I think I think he does. I think he's like he showed us a picture of his work from home flow. Oh yes, on the Twitter, and I thought, you know what? Um, we could. I mean, that'd be. That seems like we could stay there if, <laughs> if he wants to have us. <laughs> what curled up in the debris on his desk? Yeah, yeah. He looks like he's got a Dr. Diet Pepper, um, <laughs> which I'm, it's not my soda of choice, but I'll I'll drink it. Um, there are no, there are no Apple products except one, uh, iPhone and Mm -hmm. and it looks like some, some earbuds, but I don't, I don't see. So he needs, he needs our Apple products, uh, and we'll go hang out, um, with, with Luis. No, it's, I'm, we, I'm joking, but I, I really, I mean, maybe we will go on tour at some point. (laughs) I, I, yes, yes, we are. We are. We are definitely going on tour at some point. We, um, we'll go on tour together or separately. Um, <laughs> yes, it will definitely be one or the other, or we're not going to go on tour, but definitely, uh, together or separately. Or separately. Um, yes. And it will be a tour or not a tour. Is that possible too? Yes. And more of me, less of the other guy, more of you. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and it is definitely, it is maybe definitely someone's favorite science outreach podcast. Oh my gosh, what a nice thing that we got. Nice, <laughs> like a really nice plus um, plus she spelled favorite with a U, so of course she's from Canada. Um so okay. I think it's pronounced Canadia, Ben. It's Canadia. Uh, I so I last week I was out in my fine state of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, out out in the western part of the state in, in Asheville, which is my um Probably it's a toss up between going to Asheville and the beach as mm-hmm. my favorite place is not Raleigh. 
um, hmm. to visit. I really, really like it. So hmm. I was teaching a, uh, a workshop uh, for a few days on HACCP to regulators on stuff that I've talked about before, like sous vide and fermenting yogurt, and we do all this hands-on stuff. And uh, one of our one of our listeners, uh, Corey, who's an environmental health specialist, was there and said at one point, more of the other guy. Excellent. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, during during while you were talking. Yeah, while I was while I was like delivering the workshop. Excellent. He just like we we had this little lull, and he goes, uh, "More of the other guy." Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Good job, Corey. Oh, uh, it was it was uh, it, it was pretty sweet. Ah. Uh. Um, and he introduced me to one of his colleagues, and I can't uh, remember her name, but he said that she is now a fan uh, as well and listens to the podcast. Um, and, uh, and, and so they, they were just like, uh, hanging out, talking about, uh, listening to us. That's nice. It was, it was really nice anyway. So, um, so we've, yeah, we've had, I think we've had a good, a, a good feel good week of creating podcasts, posting podcasts and getting feedback on podcasts. And so all we have to keep doing to maintain this is just keep posting an episode every couple of days. Yeah. I, I think it's doable. I think people are going to be kind of sad when we go back to uh, bi-weekly posting. Oh, man. What will happen? The, the nerds, will, they'll revolt. We'll, we'll have incited a riot um, and, uh, and some, you know, something crazy will happen. Um, hey, should we talk about some, some real food safety stuff? I think we should. Uh, I, got some, I got some stuff. I do, too. Okay. Well, you go, you go first because I'm going to pull up something here. Go. Oh, um, sure. I'll go first. <laughs> I'm I'm ready. Um, I uh, uh, I think that. Um, <laughs> do you want? Do you need me to go first, Don? No, I'll go first. <laughs> um, so. Uh, you know what? Actually, this is very apropos. So my student, um, Robin Miranda, who I don't, I don't know if she listens or not, but she is a, a master student of mine, and she actually defended her uh, master's thesis on Monday of this week, and her her thesis was on uh, the five second rule. And it turns out that the five and, – and because in part because of uh, – inspired in part because of all of the ranting that we've, that we've done on this podcast or mostly that I've done about people uh, publishing by uh, press release instead of peer review or, or, or you know, announcing things via press release um, uh, got me kind of fired up. And Robin actually went and did the work to look at uh, the five-second rule and whether it works or not. And, and actually it turns out that there is something to it. That, that, that contact time does make a difference, but it also turns out that there are many other factors that overshadow the importance of time, um, including the type of food um, uh, and its moisture content and also the type of surface. Um, so, And what made me think of this is that there was a, a post uh, this week um, uh, on Barf Blog, uh, actually, from, actually from last week, where, where the title of the post is, I prefer wood, the safety of food contact surfaces, uh, think cutting boards. And, and one of the surfaces that Robin studied was not cutting boards but she did study a laminated wood surface like might, you might find in wood flooring in, in a house. And it turns out that um, you do get fairly good transfer from, uh, from wood flooring, um, less transfer probably from, um, uh, from carpet. 
So anyway, that's my uh, that's my news for the week. So we uh, she successfully defended her master's thesis, and I think uh, we are going to get that uh, submitted for publication, probably to uh, Journal of Food Protection, where hopefully it will move easily through the peer review process. And then and then once it's accepted, I think we're going to have to uh, write a press release. Ooh, and then uh, we can have a whole other discussion on uh, the five second rule in in uh, popular culture. Exactly, which I like because it's and it is. I mean, you and I have talked about this. Um, I'm sure many of the listeners who are in the food safety nerd world, it, you know, you go to a party or you go somewhere with non food safety people, and someone inevitably drops something. They say, "Oh, look, foods, you know, uh, five second rule," and then then they snicker a little bit, and then you get in this weird conversation about. Um, food safety because they know you do food safety stuff yeah. and it's it like it is a I, if we were to make li- like a rob gordon list of top fives um that's a high fidelity reference mm-hmm. um this the five second rule would be on the top five things that uh non-food safety people like to talk to food safety people about indeed would indeed. You, would, would you what else would go on that list do you think what your list what uh foods Foods that you you do and don't eat. Yep. Good. Yes. I'm in, um, I'm in on that. I would put. Um, oh uh, well, something about uh, the confusing spoiled with safe, right? Right. Or or, yep. or foods that are foods that are spoiled and versus foods that are unsafe. And let's couple that with uh, expiration dates. Oh, expiration dates, absolutely. And, and like uh, yogurt in your fridge versus deli meat in your fridge right yep, like that yeah exactly uh what about uh restaurants and restaurant grades and inspections oh absolutely yep in fact speaking of that i had a conversation with a reporter um last week called me on friday afternoon of course and it was not on restaurants although this this reporter from uh the philadelphia inquirer has called me previously to talk about fast food restaurants his his comment his question to me this week was on supermarkets and and there apparently and I would love to get your perspective on this as well um, the the there is a wide variety in uh, health uh, Department of Health inspection scores for supermarkets and there are some chains that do very very well and there are some chains that do very poorly and so I guess the, the my question to you Ben is um, why do you think some some chains do well when it comes to food safety and some chains do poorly. And also, why do you think that uh, a, a supermarket would, in fact, f- uh, not do well on a health department inspection to begin with? Ooh, good good question. I, we have some, le- some research, um, well, some stuff that is in review right now um, on supermarket food safety – observation but a little different type of methodology um where uh and this is working with um uh, our friend uh, john lachansky and anna or friends anna john lachansky and anna portafet at uh, usda ars um where they had this big listeria project and they um took a bunch of pictures and of things that that they deemed as risky and then things that they deemed as not, you know, not so risky. And then we did some analysis on it. Anyway, um, I think that the whole idea of retail and supermarket food safety is kind of interesting because you have different um, regulatory 
requirements or different regulator regimes depending on the state. So I'll give you my North Carolina example. Um, a grocery store like uh, Food Lion uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or Harris Teeter um, or any of them, Walmart, they are uh, the packaged goods that are, so- that are sold there for retail are regulated by the Department of Agriculture. The deli, cut fruit, seafood counter, and meat counters are all regulated as independent um, permitted areas by the local Department of Health. So they may have, you know, in one store, you have um, five different inspections. Um, and so, so I, I, my, my, I guess first question, I don't know how it works in Pennsylvania, but I would want to know whether the parts of the grocery stores are treated separately. Um, and if the, the inspection results that, you know, that, that they're showing differences are, are like between chains, if that is for their delis and the places that look like restaurants where the food code will be, um, impacted or if it's the retail part of things because i think that that would tell us some different different stories did they tell you was it like did they have a conversation about delis at all well that's what my thing was my my response my my response was well you know obviously there are places in a supermarket that are higher risk and there are places that are lower risk and one of the places that's lower risk would let's say be the cereal aisle because there's not much going on there microbiologically but yes you're right if they're if they're making pizzas or if they have rotisserie chicken or if they have deli counters or if they have a, a meat counter or a fish counter obviously those are the place or a bakery uh, potentially depending on what you're baking and how you're baking it those are the places potentially where you could have uh, some some problems, and and again, I don't know uh, to your point exactly how they're regulated, whether they're regulated as separate entities within the store, or whether the whole store gets a score, et cetera. And and so that so I guess that part could explain why the different chains act or look differently. It may be that different chains actually have different, um, like counters available like okay not, not, you know not all chains have um have delis or ready to eat and and i would look at that and say well a deli or ready to eat that's it's so much more complicated the stuff that goes on there that i would i would expect that there would be more things that they would need to manage um versus uh a, you know a grocery store that is not like full service that doesn't have a you know they may not have a deli they may not have an actual butcher and now we're really only looking at what their cut fruit department looks like you know, right. Well, so, and let me so let me let me share with you that this is a uh, is, is, is this an article that is being written by a guy by the name of Sam Wood, um, uh, and I will um, uh, will link to uh, his Twitter account. We'll also link to the article that he wrote last year on fast food restaurants. It looks like the it, that his his story on uh, supermarkets has not yet come out, but we'll link to his last year's story and we'll link to his Twitter account. But let me um, uh, respond. To something you said and to, and to say that uh, I don't want to I don't want to talk too much about what his findings are because he hasn't published them yet but yeah. let me just say that one of the chains that does remarkably well is a chain that I shop at and I can tell you that they have all the same counters as let's say another chain that doesn't do as well. And gotcha, so gotcha. my question to you, given that we've yeah. now equalized this, Thank okay, you. let's say hypothetically we've equalized this, why does one chain do better, m- remarkably better than another? So I, I think that there are different um, 
management and organizational issues that that these chains could be encountering. And we, I, I, back when I was in grad school, I, I did a like marketplace on CBC. I'll see if we can find this video, but it was like an old school, like it's supposed to be an expose on coffee shops, Tim Hortons being one. Oh, we've talked about this on the podcast. Yeah. 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 We we did. And, and so one of the things that, um, that came out in that, uh, was one, I think it was a, a, um, a, a coffee shop called coffee time that had no independent outside company helping them with, verification of their food safety practices like like someone like a um uh a stereotech or uh ecolab or um uh, uh used to be johnson diversity but now it's cryovac i think mm-hmm. or sealed, sealed air not crowd yep sealed air, air. yeah so so i mean i try just to name a few there's lots of different service providers out there like that um so the one company that did the worst compared to everyone else was the only company that didn't have one of those service providers. Ah, okay. And so, so it's, you know, the, that part is not, you know, it's, it, and we, we wrote a paper a few years ago about um, audits and, and how they aren't on their own enough, but they can be part of a food safety culture um, if they, if they're used correctly. And maybe that's a, maybe that's a factor, these sort of internal, systems uh and then having someone in there to to make sure you know that someone that that individual department is ready for um uh you know health inspection but i don't know i mean that's so that so i don't know if that if that is um how it looks for um you know for these for these chains but it could be something like that it could be um, and it could go go back to something we talked about three or four episodes ago um, in relation to, to Chipotle and um, the organizational structure and who has power um, corporately within the executive uh, group for food safety and whether there's a chief food safety officer versus, um, you know, a director of food safety that answers to a vice president of quality assurance or something like that. So just tracing the money and, and the power may may have some impacts on on how well they perform food safety wise. Yeah, and I gave a much less nuanced answer, and I said basically um, the, the the chain that does well, the chain that I shop at, I know the name of the person that's in charge of food safety for that chain. Yeah. Um, whereas this other chain that you mentioned, I have no idea who that person is. I've never met them. I've never seen them at a meeting, and so I suspect they just don't have a commitment to food safety. So I, you know, that was just my sort of top level, very simplistic yeah. answer. But you, it was, he should have called you because you gave a much better answer. No, but you gave a better quote. <laughs> and, and in fact, that is why they called you. <laughs> yeah, well, I give good quote. What yeah, can I say? That's what. It, that's how how it goes. I. Uh, so speaking of which, I um just just came. Uh, Don, do you have like I know you have a bell. Do you have like a news ticker um sound that you can make like? I think you just did it. Yeah, just just across the wires here. Yeah. Um, I I I texted you yesterday. And said, "Hey, can we talk for like five minutes on Listeria monocytogenes? Because I have I, I got Life Hacker who wants to talk to me. Yes, and I'm like, I Life Hacker, I I lo- like they are my kind of demographic of things that I like to read because, mm-hmm. and you know, if we'll link to Life Hacker. In fact, we'll link to the the article. I'm going to text it to you right now so you can see it. Oh, great. Um, it it got posted this morning, uh, but I didn't sort of get a tweet about it until just now, um." 
and it uh, in the article um, is about Lysiria, and it's from uh, Beth uh, Skwarecki. And Beth, 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 and I have talked two or three times in the last couple of years, um, most notably in my in my mind around um, the life hacker's approach to a safe Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, in just this past uh, Thanksgiving. And they ask, Beth, I mean, not they, Beth asks really great questions. Um, and it's all really about, okay, the people that read us, they don't want to know what the recommendations are. They want to know why the recommendations are in place and how they can push the push the science a little bit on it. Like, are there, you know, and, and so we got into this really nice conversation about time and temperature as opposed to just temperature around cooking, um, you know, cooking uh, turkeys. So anyway, we had a, a very similar conversation about, you know, she, her, you know, the, the headline here is what you need to know about Listeria, quote, the biggest foodborne threat to pregnancy. Um, and so I gave a quote and I'll, I'll just read a little bit. We talked a bunch about, um, you know, what to do. And you and I, um, you gave me some good tips and we were on the same page of, um, you know, both cook temperature, uh, for certain products as well as storage time and temperature. And that was really what I, what I focused on. And then I sent her uh, a paper that that you and and Michelle, uh, wrote, um, a while ago on cantaloupes. And I was like, look, here's the deal. Deli meat. Yep. That's one of the things that we talk about, but I really think that listeria and cantaloupe and cut cantaloupe in, in a, someone's fridge is, um, is something that I would worry about. And, and it, it boils down to this. She said at, at the end of the article, um, she is the, uh, there's a insert line of, there's not much you can do besides cook everything. And she said, what can someone do? And I said, what can someone do? Not a whole heck of a lot <laughs> other than cooking and controlling temperatures. I think, and she said, I was really hoping he could give me a new set of rules that would make avoiding listeria easy. But Don, just like we talk about in every podcast, food safety comes down to, it depends and it's complicated. Exactly. And I'm glad I'm glad that you're talking to Lifehacker. I'm glad that they are doing good reporting because every time um, I think of Lifehacker and anything related to food safety, I immediately think of a wonderful post uh, that they had several years ago um, entitled um, uh, Dishwasher Detergent Soaks Clean Dishes Overnight. So apparently, Ben, I don't know if you, this is a life hack. I don't know if you know this, but you can actually use soap and water to clean dishes. And that is really amazing. Um, and I, uh, so we'll, we'll link to the Lifehacker article. We will also link to an awesome video uh, made by a friend of the podcast and former and guest on the podcast, uh, once and future guest of the, on the podcast, uh, Merlin Mann. Uh, great uh, um, a talk that he did entitled Make Believe Help Old Butchers and Figuring Out Who You Are for Now, um, which he did back in 2009. There's a wonderful, it's, it's on his um, uh, 43 folders, 43 folders um, uh, uh, blog. Um, and again, we'll also link to the Lifehacker article. So anyway, I'm, uh, I'm really glad, I'm really glad Lifehacker is actually doing some good work about food safety, but I have to always, in my mind, I always link them to uh, that, that wonderful post on um, uh, using soap to clean your dishes. <laughs> good. I'm sure we can find some other good Lifehacker uh, ones like, um, do you know, Don, that if to make your car go, it's really useful if you put gasoline in it? Huh. I, I you know, I, I it's a life hack. I, 
I do that on a regular basis, but I've never really questioned why I do it. It's good to know. But you didn't think about why. Yeah. It's because that, you know, that, that it's fuel. Hmm. And it fuel like I mean literally fuels just like literal, when you eat literal fuel. Literal, it's like when you eat breakfast in the morning and uh, you feel you feel good. You've got a lot of energy. It's that's fuel for you. That's another life hack for you. Eat, eat breakfast. All right. Hey, well, before we leave the topic of listeria, um, I want to talk about listeria and frozen foods because it's on my mind because I'm supposed to be writing something about it. Um, I'm supposed to be writing an article about it for the World Food Logistics Organization and also um, supposed to be writing a uh, grant proposal on this. And so as part of preparing for that, I had a very interesting phone call with, um, I don't know if we should say <coughs> who it is, but let's just say they used, for, they used to work for FDA. Okay. Someone who used okay. to work for FDA. Someone who used to work for FDA. Wait. Um, this is... <laughs> Yes. Is it someone? Is it someone who used to work for FDA who who still works for FDA but like is quitting FDA as of June first? No. Oh, because no. that that person still works for FDA. Yes, this is a person who has already quit FDA. Is this? Can we play? Are we playing Guess Who right now? Are we playing Twenty Questions? Sure. Is this person someone who works for used to work for Sifsan uh, at F, at FDA? Yes. It, <laughs> Is this? No, I'm not going to go. That's not <laughs> okay. So anyway, let's let's leave it anonymous. Um, and I wanted to get his thoughts on the agency's perspective on listeria in frozen foods. And uh, and so I, I will. We won't identify the person um, because again, we're going to talk about stuff that I can't really point to. This is all just as the, as a lawyer would say hearsay. Oh, we can also say this person was not a lawyer. Okay. Okay. Although good. F- good. Lawyers do work for FDA. They do. Um, and so what this person shared was that frozen foods um, do have a, a fairly high uh, prevalence of listeria. And uh, for a long time, um, the FDA kind of didn't worry about that because they knew that uh, as long as um, there were proper cooking directions on the package, um, these foods were safe. Why, Ben? Because everyone always follows the cooking directions on the package, right? Always. And everyone, even if there weren't cooking directions there that were validated, people would just cook their food all the time. Right. Um, which of course is not true, right? No, and that's so, a lie. That's 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 parts a lie. But this and this is why it's great to talk to somebody who is inside the regulatory agency because he, he the, this person talked about the fact that there's probably two ways the agency could go after someone um, for having food, uh, ready to eat food that had listeria in it. And, and, and so, and, and to do this, you basically, you, you, uh, it, it's, it's speaking in regulatory code. Okay. So one way they could go after a company would be the 402A1 approach. Ooh, that's a, <laughs> okay. that's a 402A1 niner. Exactly. And so the, the 402 a one approach says basically you are not allowed to make food that is harmful, and food contains that contains listeria could be viewed as harmful. Now this is actually not a very satisfying way to go after these right. people because frozen foods have listeria all the time, but people are not get we have and we have recalls on a regular basis. Okay, not maybe a lot, but but guess what? If you look, you find right. Um, 
And um, uh, but there's not really compelling evidence that these foods are harmful. However, there is a dish, there is another option besides the 402A1 approach, Ben. What's, Do you know what that approach is? Um, it's the 402A2 uh, approach. That would be wrong. It's the, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. It is the 403A9 approach? I'm, uh, not as warm. It is, I, I'll, save you, I'll save you having to guess. It is the 402A4 approach. <laughs> and, what, and what the 402A4 approach says, so what 402A4 is the part of this, the Code of Federal Regulations that says that you um, should not, you are not allowed to produce food under insanitary conditions. Okay, and since we believe that listeria contamination in frozen foods is a post-blanching contamination, if you are in fact contaminating listeria while it is in your facility, in other words, it comes in at a certain low level of listeria, and when it leaves your facility, it has a higher level or it has a more uniform, a higher prevalence of listeria, that is in fact evidence that you are producing that food under insanitary conditions. And so what this means is that the FDA kind of does have a, a stick that they could go after the frozen food industry by taking this particular approach. Um, and so anyway, um, it turns out what precipitated the most recent problem was uh, – <laughs> and this is – again, this is, this is probably a good reason why we're not identifying this person. Um, one of the, 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 the things that this person indicated was that the, the people causing all the problems are, are the states. So, for example, there was a – and we'll link to this in the show notes. There was a recent uh, sample that was pulled by the state of Tennessee – of um, IQF vegetables produced by a processing plant in New York State. And so the, 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 our colleagues in Tennessee contacted our colleagues in New York, and guess what? The New York State Ag and Markets people went out to this plant. They sampled, they, they took samples, they took a variety of samples. And you know what they found, Ben, when they took all those samples? Uh, some listeria. They found a lot of listeria, okay? Probably not at levels that would cause illness. We don't know. I mean, these are frozen foods. Again, if people are properly following the cooking directions, this is not going to be a problem, okay? But lo and behold, they they found it. And so, and this person also speculated that he thinks that listeria prevalence in the frozen food industry might, in fact, depending upon how you define prevalence and how you define sample size, might even be double digits. And so we spent some time talking about like why why is AFI uh, doing the things that it's doing? Why did it have a call for proposals about risk assessment for listeria monostogenes in frozen foods? And and I I'm not sure that I have any more um, clear direction on exactly what I'm going to write or how I'm going to spin this proposal. But it was really good um, to talk with my colleague and to get his perspective on like what goes on kind of behind closed doors. So, okay, can you, and, and maybe I've missed this, how is finding Listeria when we look for it a problem for the states? Like, well, the states the states go out and and test retail samples because that's what they do. Right, right, right. right. It's part of their state business. So, so I guess the the part that I'm missing is that, and and this is me like why does why does FDA not do that? No, why does FDA say oh if we if the states didn't look for it we wouldn't have this listeria problem? <laughs> like because that, it's the truth, Ben. <laughs> 
no, 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 it's not. It's because if Listeria is there, it has nothing to do with who's testing for it. Well, I guess I guess if, if you believe that listeria in frozen foods is not a problem, right? Then it's th- then, then it's a you shouldn't issue. look for it because if you look for it, you're going to find it, right? So I guess that's the now I get it. okay. That's the idea, right? Um, but it's not a problem until it is a problem, right? Well, right. It's not a problem in ice cream until uh, uh, hospitals start making milkshakes uh, for immunocompromised people and not cleaning their milkshake mixers. Then it's a big problem. And then Bluebell, right? And then exactly. Or um, the we've had, uh, you know, I think kale last year, not no illnesses, but uh, we know that that people are are eating kale because they like to eat it in a smoothie, just like with their avocado pit. Um, and, and don't cook it and, 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 but yeah, it's, so I don't, I don't know. I, I see, I understand, I understand, I understand. I'm not being, uh, overly dense around it, but, um, it's not well, a problem it, until we know what the data is. Well, and, and I guess the, the idea uh, is, is that the, this, this apparently, uh, this is, yeah, the, the more that I think about it, the more I'm really glad I didn't identify. Yeah. Person, <laughs> but, um, the, the, that basically, a lot of this issue with frozen foods came to light some time ago and the industry was like, Oh, okay, great. No problem. Well, people are just gonna, gonna cook their frozen food. So we're okay. And that kind of went on for a while. And, and sort of the, so the industry was sort of given a window in which they could kind of get their act together and they didn't. Mm. Right. Mm. Like, so they, the FDA is like, yeah, Nobody's really getting sick, but you really shouldn't make food that you know people are not going to cook with listeria in it. So, you know, you guys really should take this opportunity to get your cross-contamination, get your in-plant sanitation under control. And the industry was like, yeah, no, we think well, we think it's labels are OK. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're OK. We think that we're managing the risk appropriately. And, and now apparently it has, you know – <laughs> so, stuff has come to light ben. yeah um uh that 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 the industry is probably just going to have to do what's right and and kind of re-engineer um get get sanitation in these frozen food plants kind of under control so that they're at least and this is again from my colleague they're at least producing food that is no more contaminated with listeria than when it came in. <laughs> yeah. Right. So if it comes in at one percent prevalence and it goes out at ten percent prevalence, um, uh, you know that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Huh. That's okay. Good. Well, that's a good. This is a good. It's a good discussion because we've got a whole bunch of stuff here, right? Like this is, uh, uh and issue that needs some sort of a you know risk assessment mathematical um factor to it but it's because we don't really know about like it's because the communication stuff doesn't work right like these this this is a really i like i like the frozen food stuff i find this like really interesting as this niche because um because you can kind of see both sides or the multiple sides to this and fortunately fortunately for the frozen food industry and for for us we don't see a whole lot of 
illnesses from it, right? Like we're I, we're having this is a it's it's a preventative kind of preventive kind of discussion. Um, oh, that's good. Cool. Well, I'm glad you didn't identify the our FDA friend. Yeah, but but I, anyway, it was it just happened today, and it was I thought just a really good and interesting discussion. Uh, 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 that that kind of reveals a lot of stuff that we we talk about on a regular basis, right? The the fact that telling people what to do doesn't always work. That that, yeah. that, that there is, um, you know, the industry, the the, regu- the regulators are not really out to get the industry. They they realize that there are probably. If you're going to worry about listeria in food, there are probably foods you ought to focus on that are a higher priority than frozen food. But uh, that said, there's probably things that the frozen food industry can do um, to uh, uh, to manage the risk, and they, and they probably ought to do that. Right, right. Good. Okay. Um, on the listeria side of things, or on the – sorry, not the listeria. When I was looking at uh, um, uh, our food – adulterated food uh, – um, for 342 adulterated foods dash, what was it? 401. 402A4. 402A4. Where was that? I lost it. Um, how does that like, and I've never really thought about this, and this is probably a question for uh, some of our regulator, um, uh, folks, but does this, you know, we, we know that there are, um, raw agricultural commodities that are exempt from certain parts um, of different regulations and rules. And, you know, is a cantaloupe that's got a bunch of listeria on it, um, it from the field, is that, is that a 402 one? No, 402, a 402, four, a one or, or a four. Right. Right. Well, like, here's it, the thing. Or is it neither? Well, if, if it was, <laughs> I, the the logic, as I understand, so so four hundred two a one is is it harmful? Right, and we can probably say that well, low levels of listeria, they're probably not harmful, right? And so then the question becomes, well, okay, was it produced under insanitary conditions? And if and if the prevalence of listeria going out of the plant is higher than the prevalence going in, see cantaloupe at Jensen Farms, for example, yeah. I think you can say most definitely it was produced under insanitary conditions because whatever you should do no harm, right? You should if you just pass through the level of listeria, then uh, okay, that's that's one thing. But if you're actually making the problem worse, which I think very clearly Jensen Farms did make it worse, um, then then that's a problem yeah and and so um I, I think that's that's a good good example and I'm, i'll make it all like you know nerdy on this one so and if we're field packing something it would be almost the you know the same thing that um whatever it is in the field uh, if it's less if it's no more in the box like the hands aren't contributing to it then then that's the current inter not interpretation or um you know, area of thinking around, around it. I don't know. Right. I'm, ra- I'm, ra- I'm rambly. Anyway, it's a, this is the, this is a regulator safety talk at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. Um, I, uh, I wanted to talk about street food. Oh, I love talking about street food. Ben. You like street food, don't you? I do. I do. I love street food. What kind of street food do you like? Um, I like any street food that's not going to make me sick. Ooh, I w- <laughs> and, and and in particular, I like street food that is uh, served piping hot. Piping hot out of a bag in sure in in uh, Central America, like I sure have. or or in South Georgia, like the boiled peanut. I love the boiled oh, peanut. That's street food. Boiled peanuts are 
But Ben, you're not saying it right. Oh, boil. It's boil. It's boil peanut. Boil peanut is. There's that, no. There's no ed. And there's no. There's no s. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. It is gross. That part of it. <laughs> they are. You can put them with the avocado seed, and put them in a bag, and and I'm done. I'm done with them. They they are the like, not what I thought they were going to be. And in fact. Maybe it's because I don't understand boiling, but I thought they would just be like roasted peanuts. <laughs> and they're not. Kind of like roasted beans and boiled beans are different. Um, okay, so I posted something on, on Barf Blog about um, street vendors in New Delhi and in India getting training mm-hmm. uh, for handling uh, food safety. And um, the and, and this coupled with... Uh, some uh, a tweet that I just saw come across my uh, my Twitter feed around food trucks in downtown Raleigh because we we now have an, a plan where just like in Portland we'll have some areas where food trucks will be able to park sort of all the time, mm-hmm. um, and in this uh, we've we've talked a little bit about this um, in the past, and I see here's the here's the thing, food trucks are not street vendors. To me, I think they're yes. Di- I, think I, they're I would different. say that's different because because it's right there in the name. Like a food truck, you actually have a truck. <laughs> True, and and that food truck having that truck means you should be able to. And, and I mean, in our in our state, it's got to be linked to a permitted kitchen. Um, they have to have water. They have to. I mean, it's a, it's a different infrastructure facility. Um, but I think that from so from a risk standpoint, I think these are two two totally different. Um, uh, situations, but I think the conversation around food trucks and street vendors gets lumped into one that okay. they are um, not not permanent structures, and so mm. they are uh, problematic. Anyway, so so this um, this article that was in uh, the Economic Times uh, talked about um, over twenty thousand vendors in. Um, uh, in uh, New Delhi, um, would be uh, is where where this like whole conversation was going um, around um, food safety training, and I just couldn't get my head around like this the number. Like, I understand we look at you. You and I have been part of the uh, Food Safety Preventive Controls Alliance for a while, mm-hmm. and we're talking about um, you know think about the infrastructure for training for that preventive controls course, uh, for, you know, 200,000 or a hundred thousand people, uh, or, you know, that's whatever the estimate is of businesses are going to have to go through it. It's like somewhere in that area, right? Mm-hmm. We've got millions of dollars in salaries that are tied sort of t- tied up in addressing it. We've got train the trainers and trainers of trainers and, uh, tots and, and hot tots and I'm tater thinking, tots, tater tots, and, and then we've got people that are going to go deliver multi. I mean, it's just the 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 net of people is is massive. And then I you know I read this story. It's like okay, well let's let's take down the number of people that we're going to train by a factor of of ten. So that's that's good. Um, but we are talking about how are you going to connect with twenty thousand vendors like that with no sort of infrastructure like street vendors like literally. Uh, it, it, here's here's the part that. Um, that makes it hard. It's it's not like you can walk up to their building. They are vendors that are mobile, right? I just I mean I think it's a great idea. 
I think that um, operationally, it's going to be very difficult to do. I, I would agree. And, and and so the other thing is, uh, and this is what I kind of ended my post on was they they talked about knowledge. They want vendors. Um, and here's the direct quote, vendors selling street food in the national capital will now be sensitized about health and hygiene for raising food safety standards. And I said that being sensitized to the risks is a start. Addressing them is really what makes food safer, though. Well, and how are they going to be sure that they're all sensitized, given that they're mobile? They'd have no fixed address, right? I mean, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough problem. It's, yeah, I don't know. But... And I would still probably eat a samosa on the street in India. <laughs> oh, I did. And it, it was good. Yeah. But again, it's got to be cooked, right? Risk management. That's it. It's a, it's a risk management decision, Don. It is. Um, yeah. I'm. So I want to do more of this stuff, though. Like, I mean, I think this the rise of mobile food vendors and food trucks and temporary events. I, I really like this area. Like, it's messy, right? It's not like um, – and, and not, you know – Grocery stores can also be equally as messy, but we've got lots of people that are working on that. This is just my I love I love this area. Yeah. Well, and and also the the interesting thing about food trucks is they're they're kind of happening now, right? Like food trucks are on the ascension. Uh, I was just reading about there's some event uh, in New Jersey coming up where it's going to be like a uh, in Trenton. There's going to be like a food truck day, you know. So it really is it is is something that is uh, very popular um, amongst the the hipsters, as they say today. Yeah, yeah, they're it's it's they're the place to be. They're the place to eat, um, and that's and that you know that's the other thing is, um, a a food truck that focuses on. I mean, it's it's essentially a mobile restaurant, and and they're doing maybe some complex things. The um, tamale that I ate out of a bag um, in in Guatemala, um, that. You know, and I, I'm making making some assumptions here, but that the vendor that I purchased it from, that was her thing, was making tamales. And mm-hmm. then there was some guacamole, and she made them at home, and she brought them real hot in a bag, and she sold them on the side of the road for, like, 70 cents U.S. Um, the hotness aspect of food trucks and focusing on, like, nine or, or, or you know, ten different dishes, um, and, you know, it's essentially, it's essentially a, a restaurant, and that that's different right like that's and i'm maybe i'm not like articulating it very well but it's it's probably more complex but there's more infrastructure to deal with that uh, extra complexity right exactly um i i have a question for you that i'm going off the board here okay i'm going off you know we got we got the big board in the sky uh-huh. here yeah I'm going off it all right um what how would you do a risk assessment for petting zoos and and the reason why so what's what's the reason behind doing this risk assessment is to find what are the best interventions for our investments how would you do that well that's a that's a really good question and it's one actually that we've I've been thinking about not not from the point of view of petting zoos but because of uh, actually Robin Miranda featured earlier in the podcast who did the five second rule yeah. she's going on for her PhD and she's going to be doing uh, norovirus um, uh, modeling in food service oh, right perfect to, yes to, yeah and so I think that it, actually the problem is kind of analogous to a petting zoo and so basically the way the way that we have done in my lab we have done risk assessment historically is you have a flow 
uh, you ma- imagine a food processing plant. And so food, you know, sort of comes in the door, it gets processed, it gets handled, it gets distributed, it's sent to retail, it's sent to the home. And you can basically construct a very, very linear model of that of that process um, where, you know, certain things are happening, contamination's going up, it's getting spread, it's getting, it's getting eliminated, you know, et cetera. Cross-contamination's a little complicated, but there are some ways that you can do it, okay? But when you switch to doing that, to modeling, let's say, norovirus in, in food service, um, now all of a sudden you really need to use a different style of modeling. And, and I would characterize that as agent-based modeling where I'm not talking about um, threat agents like the bacteria. I'm talking about that you have little entities that move around in your simulation. So imagine that you build a little computer model of a petting zoo, right? And you've got animals, you've got contamination on animals. You have a stream of people coming into that petting zoo, moving through in some, you know, various sort of random way. You maybe have hand washing stations, maybe you have uh, hand sanitizer stations, um, and you basically figure out all of the, the the components that you need, right? So you need to know the animals, you need to know their shedding rates, you need to know concentrations, you need to know infectious dose, you need to know, um, you know, actually you even need to know things like what um, is the rate of a small child um, putting right. their hand in their mouth, right? Yes, yes. But, you could, but here's the thing. You can – a lot of that is knowable. If it's not knowable, it's, it's estimatable. Mm. And then you can build uh, a little model, a computer model of a petting zoo, and you can, you can modify that. You can you know, look at uh, uh, like flow through that, that uh, 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 system, and, and you could figure out, okay, so what is going to uh, have the greatest impact on, on risk? And, like, so, and this is uh, – you know, there's some, some selfishness to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I – I met with, uh, had lunch with with one of my friends and colleagues. Uh, her name's Megan Jacob, and she's in uh, College of Vet Medicine. She does work on, she runs our diagnostics lab in, in the college and is, has interest in, in this area. And um, we're, you know, we, we are, uh, coexist in a, in a state where um, we've had petting zoo issues. We, in fact, have a law around petting zoos based on, um, a couple of or one one outbreak um, with a with a death um, at State Fair and and we've been doing a little bit of work on trying to find these like just like food trucks these um, uh, small petting zoo type activities that might not be at the State Fair that where it's like you know managed and you can focus on it but like at um, Winter Past Farms for instance in Wake Forest or uh, you know an organic goat dairy where if you want to go um hang out with the goats and eat your lunch with them you can and looking at those types of systems um and and so what what we're trying to do is build some education um materials uh and do some uh some some research to understand the risk better but as we were having lunch yesterday it came i guess clear to me that I don't. I mean, I I know that there's not a petting zoo animal contact event risk assessment out there, and and what and and again, this is like maybe one of those epiphany kind of days. What I really should be doing with my, you know, focus and expertise on what people do is trying to fill holes in risk assessments. Like, like, like you. Know, I I develop stuff. I, 
based on what we see people do and what we can can um, figure out um, from what they say they do so we can develop communication and education and all those materials but but I should be I should be coupling that with okay how do we how do we start filling some of these holes and and so we talked about hand washing and, and we've got some observation data on hand washing at petting zoos and it's not great and we know from a, from an intervention standpoint that um, observed hand washing compliance goes up when there's an organizer there actively providing, um, you know, messaging of, Hey, you should wash your hands. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like, so so yep. we, so we can, me- like there's stuff that we can throw that that's an intervention and Megan's interest is in flies and movement uh, of, you know, persistence. We have a little bit of environmental persistence in these settings um, uh, of pathogens, but then how, how much, like, do we get a greater bang for the buck? And this is a question that I think you like, you know, if we could reduce, fly transmission of pathogens by x percentage is that better than trying to increase hand washing compliance by y percentage because we know that hand washing compliance is really low and we can't seem to move that you know that behavior right yeah and that's yeah and so yeah so do you use again you could look at hand sanitizers instead of hand washing you could you could factor in the likelihood that someone's going to wash their hands versus that they're going to um, uh, use hand sanitizer you could look at well okay so what's the how to, how how would just restricting uh, contact between right. kids yeah. and animals work uh, yeah what is the airborne route what you know thing you know what are other other things that can uh, uh, that can can play a risk there and and then again, a lot of times you just don't know, but you do your very best. You figure out what factors you think might be important, and then you you can begin to explore that in that risk assessment um, tool context. Well, we might we may uh, have a little uh, offline conversation about how we might want to do this. I don't know where I don't know how like if there's if there is funding available to do it, but we want to chip away at something like this as part of a larger issue. Like, yeah, absolutely. So that's cool. Thanks. Thanks for that. That was like yeah, a little, you that bet. Was, it was like a weird little food safety talk thing where we just talked about collaborating. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and then the, the whole discussion of the petting zoo made me think of uh, a conversation that I had, I think, on Twitter. Um, and I apologize. I don't have a record of the conversation. I'd have to go back and find it. But basically it was somebody asking us about um, – uh, uh, people touching, and this is relevant to agent-based modeling, right? But what, how, Ben, how do you feel about, um, people, uh, fondling your produce, um, prior to you buying it, right? Like, and we've all had this experience that you go, you're, sh- you're grocery shopping, you're looking at, uh, cucumbers or peppers and you're picking them up, you're squeezing them, you know, you're looking at them and then you're like, yeah, I don't really like that one. You put it back down, right? Well, that's fine. We know that we don't have any bacteria on our hands, but, but man, what about other people that have come before us and, and are, are, are handling that? Um, and the, the person that I was chatting with on, on uh, Twitter suggested that basically we design the produce section of the grocery stores kind of like a, like a cattle chute. Like you, you, you can only come in one way. You have to keep moving through the whole thing. You have to go out at the at the other side. And then but, but before you go in, you have to wash your hands and use hand sanitizer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and I said this is yeah, you're my kind of person. Yeah, right, this is right. fantastic. Yeah, this is it's good. So, um, I guess let me answer your first question first. I don't really like people fondling my produce, and that's not mm-hmm. a, it's not a euphemism, mm-hmm. um, at all. Um, but I, 
you know, I, I, I think, I don't know. I don't know, Don. Like, I mean, this, this is where we come back to like, what does the epidemiology say? Um, and what we don't know about foodborne illness, uh, could just about fill up, um, a book. I don't know. <laughs> I was, yeah. you know, like, like, so, so yeah, we don't see outbreaks linked to people funneling, um, uh, uh, produce, but, but we have a whole bunch of sporadic cases of lots of foodborne illness that we might not know anything about. And, and so maybe it's a, maybe it's a factor. It seems like it, you know, it might be. And then, well, how do we, how do we change the, the culture? And, and let me, let, let's look at, um, Europe as, or the UK. I haven't been to a lot of, um, retail stores in Europe, but in the UK you have fresh produce is, is often more wrapped in plastic than it is here. Well, do we see less sporadic cases of the types of pathogens in, you know, there, uh, because of that, that extra level of protection. So people can't fondle those, um, you know, those, that produce. I mean, I think there's a lot of questions here, but it seems like it can't be a bad idea to encourage hand washing, but it might not do anything. Right. Exactly. And, and I did find a tweet. It was from uh, Luis Ramirez, who's been tweeting at us a lot lately. And, and the original question was, we see wipes at grocery stores, thoughts on having hand wash stations at produce sections for the general public. And, and I agree. It's probably a good idea. It's probably not going to happen. And it's not clear how effective it would be. One of the things that I do see at my local Wegmans, though, is in uh, by the meat counters, uh, they have an extra set of plastic wrap, uh, plastic bags and hand sanitizers. So what you can do is pick up your package of meat, you can place it in a uh, an extra overwrap, and then you can sanitize your hands. And this is actually um, the the reason for that is science based because we've done uh, people have done not we but other people have done surveys of meat at the grocery store, and they found uh, that that even on the outside of sealed packages, you have pathogens, Campylobacter and, and, and Salmonella. And so giving people that option is great. I would love to see hand sanitizer stations um, in, in fresh produce areas as well. And that's a relatively easy thing to do. And again, you, it's not really enforceable, but but it would be it would make me feel better and I would certainly use it. Yeah, right, right. Well, I would I would use it if I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, well, so it, and it, it brings up um, another, you know, conversation and Luis Ramirez mentioned, mentioned this as well on, um, the, you know, cart washing a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, like, so I, in certain, I, and I'll have to, we'll have to dig this up, but I remember we pulled something for barf blog about, um, like certain stores looking at cart, like standardized washing carts, not just the cart wipes that a consumer can use, but like literally like running them through a car wash. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it, I think it comes down to the same thing. It's like, yeah, that seems like a really good idea, but who knows if it really does anything. Um, cause there's all these different factors. I'll have to find that. Right. Cause it, you know, I don't remember, I can't remember exactly where it was or, or, or what, you know, whether it was just like, Hey, here's a press release that we're going to start washing our carts. Right, right. Well, and I always like it always skis me out a little bit um, when I ever have to go in and and handle a, a cart that somebody else has touched because you just don't know, right? And I'm not usually skeeved out by that, but I think there has been research that shows that the handles of grocery carts are definitely a focal point for contamination. And I would love to have a, a you know just a sanitizer station right there so I can wipe the the handle down before I grab the cart. 
Yeah, absolutely. The there's, I mean, retail stores are this. This is all about retail today. We're, we're going mm-hmm. full, full circle, but um, I, I remember talking with Roger Cook from New Zealand about um, New Zealand's Campylobacter problem because they were mm-hmm. the kings of Campy for a while. Yep, um, and uh, that they had looked uh, at. Um, uh, the belts, the retail cashier belts, uh, and checkout belts as a source of of campy and cross contamination in that in that setting. Sort of like we know that there's going to be um, Campylobacter on the outside of um, containers that um, packaging uh, for poultry, and maybe it leaks on those belts, and then maybe it cross contaminates. And, mm-hmm. and and I you know I think I don't think they ended up publishing it or basically said yeah we don't we don't really think that that's a factor and what makes new zealand belts any different from north american belts you know like it's it, well they go the other direction oh that's a good point that is exciting and they drive on the other side of those belts yeah and they have and probably they have uh, kiwi birds you know what it is is, is it's it's uh, it's it's upside down so the bacteria fall off <laughs> right it's true it's, I, they is upside down i've seen a map ben so, but maybe it's upside down, and the, and the bacteria falls on because they have more huh. campy. Oh, they have more campy. Well, that, that just blows my whole theory. Forget well, it. No, no, I think it, I think you're you're onto something here. It's that it's maybe that it's not upside down and it's right side up. <gasps> oh my gosh! You mean all our maps are wrong? No, they. Oh man, I don't know. Maybe our maybe their maps are wrong. Maybe it's more of them. Maybe. <laughs> Oh, the camp. Oh, campy. Oh, campy. Uh, well, anyway, we will link to the Wikipedia article on New Zealand. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe we'll link to uh, um, a picture of New Zealand's new flag. Yes. Well, I think it's on the uh, I think it's on the Wikipedia article. OK, good. And it you... also has their their anthem, God Defend New Zealand, which apparently is the same tune as God Save the Queen. It's <laughs> good. Have you watched? You watch the John the John Oliver uh, show because he loves New Zealand. We yes we have uh, we yeah, so we had oh my god it's so complicated Ben this is a throwback to earlier in the episode so we had there's two HBO things right there's HBO Go and HBO Now and yeah, what I is the can't, difference? Uh, one of them you get for free if you if you are paying for HBO on your cable okay and the other one you have to buy. Wait a second, and, hang on. Can I just let's go back here? So sure. one of them you get for free except. You don't. <laughs> and the other one is not free. One of them you get for free if you're paying for something else, and the other one you have to pay for, okay? <laughs> okay. It's okay. perfectly clear, man. Okay, good. Okay. It's just they gave them names that are very confusing to and me. And they're both so, apps on my and, on my Apple TV. Well, right. And when we had we had the one that you had to pay for, but then when we had to upgrade our cable so that Kristen could get her sports ball which is not uh, involving yeah. balls at all. It's ice skating and gymnastics. Then we started getting HBO on the cable for free. So that means we didn't have to pay for the HBO thing that you have to pay for. And we could get the HBO thing that you have to get for free when you're already paying for HBO. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, yes. So since we had either one of those, we've been trying to, well, and then we said, oh man, we haven't been watching John Oliver. And then he wasn't actually on, he was on hiatus, but now we are, we're watching and we're catching up. And the interface for both of those apps, HBO, if you're listening, and I know you are, 
both interface suck for both those apps, okay? I just want to watch my John Oliver. I just want to find the episodes. And I think, I think Ben, the interface for the one that you get for free when you already pay for HBO is not as good. Oh, so you're so, paying any, So it's the inner it's you're paying for the interface. You're paying to like the one that you get for Yeah, free. and yeah. I'm well, I'm not paying for it cuz I'm already paying for it. Someone, oh man, I don't it's so complicated. Oh, so anyway, um, I, watched, I just want everything to work like TiVo. I watched, yeah, I watched John Oliver, but I sometimes I acquire him on the internet because he because mm-hmm. he gives away things for free. Oh the, yeah, I, I would do watch a lot of the things for free. Actually, and I've started watching. Uh, I didn't, you know, I was all excited for the new host of the Daily Show. Um, yeah, and Trevor, the, the Trevor guy, Noah. He, yeah. yeah, and he didn't really grab me, but I'm watching a lot of it on Facebook. I like. So. I, I kind of. I, like I do. Him. I'm and I'm growing to like him. Do you like uh, you like Larry Wilmore? You like the, I love the Larry Wilmore. Larry's great. Have yeah. you watched uh, San, uh, Samantha Bee's show, Full Frontal? I was just watching a Samantha Bee Full Frontal thing today. Again, on uh, uh, she interviewed a bunch of Trump supporters, and oh, then she awesome. gave them a party. <laughs> <sighs> they have a party. Yes, uh, and she hey, gave them a party. She gave them a party. Um, the fact checker. It was pretty good. Do- Dr. Douglas Powell, who doesn't listen to the podcast, but um, you you might know him from uh, from Barf Blog. He yeah. he loves Full Frontal. I get a an email almost daily <laughs> about the Full Frontal. Loves th- yeah. loves Sam B. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. She, I can see why he her kind of humor appeals to him. <laughs> I'm not. I don't know what that means, but I like it. I like what you just did there. Um. I mean, she's she's edgy. She's, she's out edgy. there. She's a, just she, like just it, like uh, just like Dr. Powell. Is it shock jockery? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a blast from the past, Don. It is. It's a good. It's a good one. Um. Uh, so anyway, what I want you to listen, what I want want to link to, what I want uh-huh. to link to, is John Oliver's discussion of New Zealand, mm-hmm. and I have a, a couple of friends from New Zealand. Who who I met through uh, the New Zealand Food Safety Authority, but one who no longer works for the New Zealand Food Safety Authority, who went on a terrible rant on Facebook about how he just doesn't get John Oliver's comedy and thinks that uh, John Oliver and his uh, uh, comedic stylings towards New Zealander are offensive. Oh, you know, and the the, the Kiwis are pretty uh, self deprecating. I think they're pretty good with people making fun of them. So. I, exactly that. It actually kind of surprised me because um, this uh, this individual who will remain nameless, um, it, it was like, what? I think you. I figured you would love Oliver. And in fact, um, let me. I've just gone back to the uh, direct quote on Facebook, and I don't think he listens to the podcast, but I won't mention his name. Uh, quote: I can't see why John Oliver appeals. Guess somebody enjoy formulaic parody and bass slapstick. Yeah, guess who doesn't? I do. I do. I guess. Yeah, who doesn't? I guess so. Uh, so was this? Uh, what, so there's a. If you Google John Oliver New Zealand, there's a lot of hits. Oh, there are some not safe for talking oh. about on the podcast. Some, uh, um, some include things that hit people in faces. Okay. Um, how about? Okay, here's. I think this is a. This is the part of the podcast where I just read Facebook comments. Yes. Um, from a response to uh, this, I can't see why John Oliver appeals. Um, quote, I've been a fan for some time. He very cleverly uses this. Uh, Kiwis are amazing because this is fantastic writing. Um, he very cleverly uses the style of humor that Americans respond to. <laughs> To get messages across, such as showing physically the number of scientists agreeing with climate change versus climate deniers and mm-hmm. arguing that climate deniers shouldn't get so much airtime to balance the story. Reporting 
changed a little after that, I think. Sadly, he also has fillers that New Zealand escapades fall into. Uh, must have uh, a New, New Zealand researcher, I think. Uh, and uh, the Waiatangi event was not a good look for New Zealand, but it happened. Yeah. I love it. I can't, can't add anything to that. Can't add anything to that. But New Zealand, uh, Kiwis, please comment more on Facebook because I enjoy your writing. <laughs> oh, Don, should we, should we call it a day? I think we should. I mean, according to um, my my uh, my my Skype call recorder, uh, we've been talking for uh, an hour and eleven minutes. But that was after uh, I I screwed things up after fifteen minutes. So I think that's a show, Ben. I think that's a show. Well, hey, um, <clears throat> thanks uh, thanks for joining and tuning in. And Don, thanks for uh, allowing me to come home and take my pants off. Um, <laughs> anytime and and thanks to th- and and honestly thanks to all the really nice people who've been writing in a bunch of people wrote in with great questions and i said that we would talk about them on this show and we didn't and we'll so we'll talk about them um show. yeah or we won't in which case just email us again and um we still won't talk about them but but we want you to know that we love when you write to us we really do appreciate uh, people listening and telling us how much they like the show. And, and so please do that. Also, please do, if, if you're so inclined, please go rate the show on iTunes. That helps us, um, uh, find new listeners, helps new listeners find us. So, so please, um, uh, please keep listening and, and thanks. And go, yeah. And do the, do the stuff and the stars and, and the, and the, and the words uh, on our, on our thing. Um, so yeah, well, uh, I think that's it. So I'll, I'm, I'm going to talk to you later, Don. Uh, thanks again, and uh, bye bye. Bye bye. Because you know this is what I do. At every... We're out and we're proud. We're proud. We're proud and we're out. You know we moved up. We used to be second on podcasts. Behind are we finally beating that bastard Carl Winter? Oh, we're Carl is Carl is in our dust. He's third. Oh man, we... who's second? Well, it was we overtook FDA's drug safety podcast. Oh, thank God, because those those federal podcasts are crap. They're clowns. They're they're. they're... You know what, Ben? They're scripted. They are. And about- I don't know if people can tell this from listening to this show, 
but we are not scripted. <laughs> we are not scripted. Let me let me read you some reviews from FDA's drug safety. Ele- <laughs> oh, please. 11, 11 ratings. Uh, one, sorry, 11 ratings. Nine of them, five stars. One three star, one one star. And I just want to note that we have no, nothing less than five stars. Here's As one. Yeah, here's one from, I think, maybe uh, one of the podcasters' mom. Mom. <laughs> This podcast is is wonderful in delivering a vast amount of information in a short amount of time. The pharmacists who speak are clear and easy to understand. I have this set to download automatically, and I listen on my way to work. Thanks. Other you comments. know, Ben, what we pride ourselves in is delivering not very much information over a very long period in of time. A long time. So, so you can Im- ingest that information slowly, organically. <laughs> In the way that nature intended. Yeah, the way that it comes out of our mouths. Yes. And to close the the feedback loop. Um, so here are the other ones. Short and to the point, period. Uh, thanks. Sorry, wait. Who wants who wants something short and to the point? Oh no, Not us. Not me. That's not... These Literally not our listeners. No, these aren't our listeners. My favorite one is the last one. The last time this uh, podcast was... Uh, um, Rated was December 28, 2012. Quote, they don't come out like clockwork, but I need these. Thanks. It's kind of like ours. That, maybe that, was, they, <laughs> that, was, that was not about ours. That could have been about ours. Yeah. <laughs> they misplaced that. That was supposed to be that was supposed to be about us. Well, um, we're coming out like clockwork now. We're coming out like a, a clock that uh, has too many uh too many batteries in it. Like a clock, like a, <laughs> yeah. Um oh, we need to read more reviews. Not just ours, because we've read them all. Um, hey, do you know that there's someone who's got a uh, podcast called um, Food Safety EDU? And it's uh, Food Safety Education Services. Is this guy named Jeff Feldman. No, I, I don't, don't know, know uh, Jeff Feldman, Food Safety EDU. He is shortened to the point um, podcast as well. No no ratings. I say shortened to the point because he has one that's nine minutes and one that's four minutes. Um, but he has a parental advisory sticker. Huh. So I'm that all of a sudden that's the po- podcast I want to download. Now you want to listen to I, that. I one. do. I want to know what he's talking about. Where, yeah. How did he get that? How did he get how did he get that? Um that's it. There's no other far, there are no other food safety podcasts. I would listen to one. I've mentioned this before. I want people to make podcasts. Oh, there's a fermentation podcast. Mm. Ooh. Might listen to this. Nine ratings. Hmm. I got to talk at IAFP about fermentation and retail. Nice. Subscribed. <laughs> Boom. Yes, iTunes, I'm sure that I want to subscribe to the fermentation podcast. Clean lyrics, though. <laughs> uh, I've been having a – so after I heard Merlin talk last week on Back to Work about a weird iTunes problem, I started having a weird iTunes problem this week. So I'm going to tell you about my weird yeah. iTunes problem and see if you have it. So it's been telling me to um, – reminding me to – or telling me I have to log in. Uh, yeah. I've had that weird iTunes problem before. I don't have it currently. And and not only that, it's telling me I have to log in and then it's saying, oh, you've had too many password attempts. Oh, I've not had so that. I've had to change my password twice Ooh. in the last week, oh, um, and good. and it's yeah, it's very annoying. No, that's not that is not happening to me. Hmm. Do you think that it's uh, has something to do with like are you using the i uh, iTunes API somewhere else like in Overcast or somewhere else? Um, that may be affecting your iTunes, but it's like you've got your iTunes. 
Like your your Apple, you're logging in somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, well, it's like because there's like five devices, right? There's the my my MacBook, my phone, my iPhone, my iPad. Uh, my Apple TV. Oh, and my watch apparently, um, but the watch isn't going in through the phone, so that's probably okay. So I don't. I don't know. I tried. I, I disconnected my iPad and I logged out on the Apple TV. Um, and uh, and yeah. So I don't know. But it's, maybe it's, maybe it's like a third party. Because I had a third party problem. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and I I do know that that uh, my calendar app uh, yes. uses iCloud, and so that was. But but that I, I fixed I thought so I, I don't really know what the deal is but I had problems with my my calendar for a while like I had to rebuild it mm-hmm. it was a mess hmm. yeah um, I don't know I you know what I think it is I think it's the FBI trying to hack that iPhone that the they F- want Apple to unlock yeah and the FDA. and it's just like spillover yeah it's everybody's it's all the acronyms it's yeah. the EPA <laughs> it's the FDA it's USDA they just want it they're trying to hack they're hacking us all. Yeah, TSA. TSA. Oh, don't get don't, me started on TSA. Don't get me started. I, I, hey, so you, um, I, this is good after dark talk. So, um, you uh, uh, talked about Horace and Pete, and then you made a couple episodes available to me to watch. I'm sure I didn't do that, but maybe somebody well, like else you screened it. it for me. Somehow. Yes, I yeah, screened. We it had me. a screening. We had a screener. Yes. Um, it is really interesting. So I, I yeah, like not like anything else, right? No, and and it is. I don't know if I like it. Did I tell exactly. you exactly? Like exactly, yeah. right? But I I want to keep watching it. Yeah, and um, I watched the first episode, and it's it's crazy. I mean, it's crazy long. It's mm-hmm. one, you know, three uh, three. It's a three camera shot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like a like a traditional sitcom. Yeah. Uh, it happens in one spot. I haven't gone past um, the first episode, but oh no, I guess there's a little bit of a you get to see in the apartment at the end of that episode. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it's one or two little little spots, and it's it's just like it's really interesting. It's really like it's a it's a real interesting concept. It's yeah. It's it's not. It's 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 why we need. Uh, like more people like Louis C.K. who can just say, you know, yeah. I want to make a thing and it's not like anything else. The networks wouldn't touch it. You know, it's just going to be a thing that I want to make that's not like anything else and I'm just going to go make it. And then if people want to pay five bucks, then that's great. And if enough people want to pay five bucks long enough, then I'm going to do it and I'm Louis C.K. and I can get <laughs> great people like Alan Alda. Oh, who's, um, who's fan- uh, like really compelling. Oh, yeah. Um do you know? I read this article a while ago. Do you know Lucy came made, made a movie, um, like a long time ago? No. Yeah, here it is. Um, it's on his. It's on his website. Um, I've watched. It's called Tomorrow Night. It's a feature length film he wrote and directed in 1998. I was a struggling comedian and TV writer at the time, and I pulled together my savings and some of my friends to make this movie on a black and white 16 millimeter film. There's some great people in the in the movie: Steve Carell, J.B. Smoove, Wanda Sykes, Conan O'Brien. Something wow. you might have heard of. Yeah. Um, and it was it's five dollars. I saw clips of it, and I I must have heard him talk about it somewhere. Um, and it was really, um, it was really interesting. Like it's, I mean, it's not. It's like this. It is. He, he's like, I'm just gonna make a movie. I, I because I'm I I'm gonna make a movie. Like there's not. There, there might be some story in it, but in the clips that I saw, I couldn't figure out what it was. 
Um, and yeah, it was, it, so maybe check that out too. Oh, this is, this is fascinating. So I'm reading from, we'll link to the IMDb. It says, according to CK, HBO provided him with $50,000 to make a print of the film. CK wanted to leave his position at the Chris Rock show, 1997, and Rock told HBO he would quit the series if CK did not return. CK told HBO he would return to the show if they gave him the money to print the film. He's Wow. Yeah. He's a really interesting guy. Mm. Like more than just a, a like a funny comedian kind of yeah. guy. Like he's just got he's 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 very very compelling. He's very unique. Uh for all yeah. for all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um and I uh, like and I, you know where I saw him for the first time ever? I was kind of late to the Louis CK party. Um he uh, appeared as a a love interest of um, uh, Amy Poehler's character on Parks and Rec for, as a police oh, officer. Wow! For like three episodes in I don't know maybe the second or third season. Huh. Um, I guess I'll find it here. It's in the television. Parks and Rec. Dave Sanderson, six episodes. And huh. I didn't even know like this is before Louis. Um, have you watched Louis? Have you watched that that show? Uh, I have watched at least part of one episode. I yeah. So I've been going. Um, I I really like Arrested Development, and I've rewatched Arrested Development as like if I come home from hockey and Danny's asleep, and I'm gonna just like watch something to fall asleep. I'll watch mm-hmm. that. And I started watching Louie, and like I and I'm not, I've only watched a couple episodes, but I'm it, this Horace and Pete has got me like you know what I need to watch more of this guy. He's just he's just fascinating. So. Yeah, I, that and that's like I, I figured Louis is like this, just like to get into it. It's a big commitment, but Horace and Pete, it's like, well, it's not a big commitment because at the time there was one show, right? So I could watch the one show, and and now there's like five or something, and I think I'm, I'm all, I think I got one more to watch, um, and then I'll be caught up. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, I'm just I'm re- really enjoying it. It's uh, it's at seven now, so you better. Get, oh, I just looked at the. Uh, uh, the website, but you know, it's crazy. So it's like the first one, and this is what I love about Louis and people on the internet. First one, 67 minutes. Then he's got a 51, then a 43, then a 30, then a 33, then a 37, then a 50. And it's like, whatever, whatever it takes to tell the story. To tell the story. It's like a podcast, Ben. It's like, they're not all the same length. And you know, yeah. I like, I like that a lot. I like mm-hmm. it. So, all right. Well, there you go. There you go. A little, little after dark. Hey, we should uh, – you know, you know what I like to say at this time of the podcast? We should do this again. We should. Uh, would you like to do this again, say, on uh, Tuesday, March uh, 29th? I – Hello? Hello? I'm sorry. I'm just loading and looking at my calendar. I would be delighted. Okay. Let's do it. I would like to do it – at any time you would like to pick on Tuesday, December 29th, or not December, March 29th. Um, well, I have a New Jersey Association for Food Protection board meeting, Ooh. and I don't I don't know where that is going to be, but let us plan to do it at 2 o'clock. That sounds great. F-S-T. And then, all right, well, that's perfect. I'll be at home. And then I got to go to Asheville that night. I'm going back to Asheville. That should be a... It's a song. It is. It's an REM song. 
don't go it's a great song Asheville. it is a great song uh hey do you know are you are you a apple music subscriber i'm not okay so i like i like it because i haven't purchased any music since i've been a subscriber um, i've probably spent less money purchasing stuff than yeah. you've spent subscribing, though. No doubt, no doubt, you have. You are ahead <laughs> so, of the game. So you know, if we're measuring it purely on a, a financial basis, yeah, you're you're not ahead. factoring in how much you've actually been able to listen. Correct, and also not factoring in how much money I would have spent on music in the time that it existed. Right. Um, they have, for your interest, um, where is it? Where is it? Oh, not there. Not. Music. Sorry, this is fascinating. Um, the Green album, which is one of my favorites, their 25th anniversary deluxe edition includes uh, an entire concert from Greensboro, North Carolina in 1989. Nice. That is really, really good. And it's one of those, like, you know, professionally recorded, non-bootleg. They must have think been thinking they were going to release a video or something. Okay. Um, and it's got... Um, it's got Rockville on it. It's got South Central Rain. It's got lots all the all the best. It's really good. Check it out. Cool. I will. Uh, cool. Well, hey, I'm gonna go uh, uh, do listen for show titles and uh, post an episode. All right, I'm right behind you, buddy. <laughs> all right, that's it's good to know. Good to know. <laughs> all right, Don. Uh, all right, take care, Ben. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.